Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Verse 1. It says this. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able to because of the crowd. Many, like many of you this morning, <laughs> some of you standing in the back like, what's going on? Just here yelling. Because of the crowd, since he was a short man. I don't know about you, but how would you like to be in the Bible known as the short man? I'm just, <laughs> just putting out the other. So, Thanks, Jesus. So verse four, so running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus. Jesus, since he was about to pass this way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary. I love that word. It is necessary. Not like, ah, oh, maybe, kind of. It's just part of my journey right now. It is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. Here's, here, verse seven is, is the frustrating verse in this whole thing. It says, all who saw began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said, Lord, look, I've, uh, I give half of all my possessions to the poor, Lord, and if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because, because he too is a son of Abraham. Now, here's the verse that I want us to hear this morning, and I want this to, to sink into our hearts this morning because this is a powerful verse, and, and I think this is Jesus kind of putting a stamp on his ministry life. Up until this point, we're just about three years into ministry with Jesus. He's getting ready to march to the cross. This is the week out from Palm Sunday. Next weekend, we'll celebrate Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday. And here we are this moment. And I think this statement right here that Jesus makes was kind of the crescendo to all things so that everybody's clear. How many of you love clarity? Man, I love clarity. And here's Jesus being very clear. Watch what he says. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. That's it. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. The lost. So today, as we continue on in our series, The Violence of Good, I want to speak to you from the subject, the gentrification of the gospel. As we look at the power of grace, the love of Christ, and God's redemptive purpose in our lives. We pray with me just one more time. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment that we have to talk through your word. God, I pray that in this moment, your word would impart something to us that it wouldn't just be good words that we hear on a Sunday morning, God, but this would be a moment that you clarify who we are, that you speak to us in a way that changes us from the inside out. And God, that these words would not be my words, but they would be your words. No one needs to hear from Jason. They need to hear from you. So God, I just pray that you would do that in this moment this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. Um, gentrification is a, is a hard word for us to, to deal with right now. It's a word that in so many ways um, has so much connotation to it, has a lot of heat surrounding, surrounding it. And I'm very aware that in a service like this across both of our campuses, this word is gonna mean different things to different people. And so as I use this word, I wanna help us just understand that I'm not making political statements today or anything like that, but I wanna get to the heart of what this, this issue has a tendency to do when it's connected to the gospel. And I'll explain this in a few minutes and how it plays out, but I want to read you the definition of gentrification. Here it is according to the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. It says, this is the process of repairing and rebuilding homes and businesses in a deteriorating area, which sounds good, such as an urban neighborhood, accompanied by an influx of middle class and affluent people, and that often results in the displacement of earlier, usually poor residents. 
Now, I've never lived in a gentrified area or an area that's experiencing this reality. But I want to tell a story to kind of illustrate, I think, the feeling and emotion that can come with this reality and then how it, how it can attach itself to the gospel at times. Um, I hated school. Anybody else with me? Show hands, not school people. Okay, show hands all the school people. Okay. <laughs> and the rest of you are like, I didn't raise my hand in school. I'm not going to raise it now. So... Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, I wasn't the best sports guy. I know we've got athletes in here and guys who are really, really good at sports. I wasn't the best. I was good at weird sports like swimming and golf. <laughs> um, but one particular day I was playing PE inside. We lived in Seattle and Seattle rains all the time. So soccer outside during PE class wasn't something that we played all the time. So our coach uh, brought soccer indoor in the gym, and he created some different rules and everything like that. So we were getting ready for the soccer game, and here's the way that it normally would go. The teams would come out, the, the sixth, sixth grade, we were in sixth grade at the time, sixth grade captains would come out, and they would start picking people. And Jason was always picked last. I know. <laughs> Aw. <laughs> Joke's on them. Um, so I was, always picked, I was always picked last. So this particular afternoon in PE, my coach kind of, I think, realized what was happening, and he decided that he was going to do something different that day. He said, I'm going to pick all the teams. And the first person I'm going to pick is Jason Parrish. And he pointed at me, and I got so excited. And I was like, you know what happens? Like, you just like, yes, finally validation. And the minute he said my name, there was an audible gasp from the other students. <laughs> and like, oh, oh, and a few were like, all right. I was deflated in that moment. And then the coach would pick all the other kids and, and the kids, like the good soccer kids, they would come running out. And have you ever noticed, like if parents, if you take your, like my kids in soccer right now, like you know which parents know that their kid's the best? <laughs> you seen that? And then when you watch the kid on the field, you know which kid knows that his parents know that he's the best. <laughs> I was not the best. So all these other kids, they got out into the gym and we start playing soccer, and, and I was running off the energy of my coach picking me. I was running off the energy of my coach including me in this game, but as these other kids got involved, I was in the middle of it all, but as their giftedness came in and their greatness came in and their ability to play soccer came in, I was pushed to the side. I was displaced and I was marginalized and I was always then trying to get in to what everybody else was, was doing. Like, and they would block me out and they're playing and, and then I would see like, Zach, like, pass, Zach, pass. And he'd be like, no. And he'd pass it to his friend and I'd be like just deflated standing there and not ever really getting to enjoy the game, not ever really being able to be included in this PE class soccer game. While this term gentrification carries with it many emotions and many truths, political nuances, personal experience, massive cultural tension, it is a term that I believe can effectively describe at times what can happen with the gospel. The gentrification of the gospel is when we somehow come to a belief in a system that our perfection moving into the neighborhood then displaces all those who we begin to judge and say are not worthy of the gospel. We bring in this flavor, like, we bring in, I'm blessed. You're not. 
Look at my life. I'm, I've got a great bank account and I've got the, the right clothes on and I've got the right smile on and I can come into church and I can strut and our marriage looks amazing and my family looks amazing. And what we can do is we can allow the gentrification of the gospel to marginalize those who would look and say, well, I'm not that. My life doesn't look like that. My smile doesn't look like that. My bank account does not look like that. My life does not look like that. My kids do not look like that. I don't fit in. And Zacchaeus shows us what the gentrification of the gospel looks like. And the interesting thing was is that he was rich. He was on the top tier of society. He was in it all. And this crowd decided to judge, as they often did with tax collectors, that he is not worthy of this Jesus that we are following. But the reality is, is that Jesus stops in the middle of it all and locates Zacchaeus in a tree and says, come down. It is necessary for the good news to meet you today. It is necessary that you and I have him coming face to face with each other. Come on, anybody thankful for Jesus, that he found it necessary to go to the cross and die for you and for me. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can allow the gentrification of the gospel to take place. The gospel means the good news. Come on, how many of you need good news in this world right now, right? And it's meant to be the good news for all of us, yet what happens over time is that it can be the good news for only some of us. And if we're not careful, we can buy into a gospel that gets parsed out and distributed only to the people we deem worthy of the gospel. Now here's the rub. None of us are worthy of the gospel. <laughs> it's the good news because he who has authored it is worthy of the gospel. He who has authored it has said, listen, this is what I want you to have. As I read this term, gentrification, it struck me. And I love studying cities, growing cities, cities that are changing, cities that are morphing, cities that are culturally growing. But I love studying the city of God, his church, the thing that he said that he would build. And as I study it, I'm, I'm taken back sometimes that we can allow the gentrification of the gospel to take place. And here's the truth, if you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this, if the gospel that we adhere to displaces the people we are called to, then it's no longer the gospel. I'll say that one more time, if the gospel that we adhere to displaces the people we are called to, then it is no longer the gospel. Jonathan Parnell, a pastor in Minneapolis, put it this way, not everyone will believe the gospel, but everyone should be invited. <laughs> Come on, aren't you thankful that you were once invited? Amen. Come on, anybody else thankful that you were invited to the table by Jesus? Maybe you might be sitting in here today and be like, I, I don't know if I've gotten that invitation before. There will be one at the end of service. Because Jesus says, come, all, all, A-double-L, all, all means all, and that's all, all means. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you Rest, rest. I love how the message version paints the picture of Jesus and what happens when he's on scene in our lives, when he moves into the neighborhood. John 1:14, message version says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. And here's the truth that we need to understand, the epicenter of the gospel is brokenness. 
The epicenter of the gospel is brokenness, but I'm concerned that what we can do as, as, as people of faith is that we can remove the gospel from brokenness and make the epicenter of the gospel our comfort. All the good things, all the blessed things and everything like that, but Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. And we all have different places and spaces that we're coming from. Can we agree on that today? Different backgrounds, different cultures, different ethnicities, different races. That's why I love this church. Love this church because of what God's doing here. That this church is not based upon your skin color. This church is not based upon your bank account. This church is not based upon your, your goodness or your lack of goodness. This church is based upon Jesus and he collectively brings us together. Now, I know for some of us right now, we're going to wrestle with certain theologies. Been around the block a little bit, and you're going to be like, okay, wait a second. Like, I get that. I'll, I'll adhere to the, to the fact that Jesus brings us closer, but what about, what about seeing people change? And what about, what about them dealing with their stuff? And what about them not doing this anymore, not doing this anymore? Last time I checked, Jesus called us to preach the gospel, not behavior modification. Okay? And here's the thing. Here's the thing that we need to understand. If we're not careful, we're not preaching the good news. We're, pe we're preaching the regimented process. Now, we're gonna talk about process. That's why right after Easter, we're gonna begin a new series called In Process. <laughs> and it's gonna be a series we're gonna talk about what happens when Jesus is working in us and we are in process. But I think here's what the problem is so many times is that we want people to be in process before they've met the one who brings them through the process. <laughs> I've often said this, and I said it a couple weeks ago, and I'm doubling down because here we are. We're getting to the crux of this series. We're getting to the meat, the middle of this, the violence of good. And we want to be a church that welcomes home the least and the lost, the last and the brokenhearted, that our doors are flung wide open to the anybody's and the everybody's of our city. Right? It doesn't matter. Well, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? Jesus looked up in a tree, didn't ask, what about this and what about that? He said, Zacchaeus, it's necessary. What if we became a necessary church? <laughs> it is necessary. So I want to talk about how we guard against the gentrification of the gospel. I want to look at three things that, are, that we need to understand that are very important truths concerning the gospel. So I need your help this morning. Come on, every shout number one. First one is this, is that we need to understand the power and the potency of the gospel. We need to understand the power and the potency of the gospel. Romans 1, 16 through 17 says this. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone. Wait, I think I read that wrong. It's the power of God's salvation for some, a few. It's the gospel of salvation for those who wear skinny jeans and v-neck shirts. It's the gospel for anyone who looks the part and plays the part. Now, for everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for it is the righteousness of God, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's the power and potency of the gospel. I, uh, one of the guys, uh, Randy back there, um, many of you know Randy, um, he, took all the, he took all the pastors snowmobiling um, just a few, like a month and a half ago or so in the, in the middle of winter, um, which 
proved itself to be a lesson in futility and an experience in stupidity. Um, we learned a lot that day about our pastoral team, the makeup of our personalities, especially the guys on the team. And so we got out there and we're all gearing up and, and uh, some of us are more extreme than others. We had balance in there um, and then we had extremes. And you see it the most in Dave and myself. Um, Dave's the opposite of me. And you could tell because like right when we got on the, like many of us were on the, uh, we hopped on the, uh, not skidoos, but the, not jet snowmobiles. <laughs> it was winter. Um, we hopped on them and most of the guys were like on it. We're already like, we're like, yeah, 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 like cranking it up. We're like jumping up and down and pushing it. And Dave's walking around his. He's inspecting it. He's making sure the brakes work. He's listening. He was the only one listening to the person explaining how to ride the thing. The rest of us are like, oh, let's go, let's go, let's go. And Dave's like, I'm listening. And maybe it's the firefighter in him. Maybe it's just the overtly smartness in him. <laughs> and it paid off at the end of the day. And so we took off and there were a few mistakes. Five minutes in, people were bearing their jet skis and going off track <laughs> Not jet skis, snowmobiles. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm still trying to figure out how a jet ski works in the snow. Um, <laughs> we all love Jesus. It was miraculous. <laughs> <laughs> so we take off for the day, and we're doing our thing, and we're cruising on the cat track, which is the safe place to stay, and then occasionally we would jump off and go into the deep powder, and a few of us would get it stuck uh, multiple times, uh, as it would be. And uh, we got towards the end of the day, and we're getting back, and we're about 30 minutes out from the, the place that we needed to park the jet skis. We only had it for, we had to be back at snowmobiles. Let's do this. Jet ski is the Hebrew word for snowmobile. It's in the Bible. Y'all are biblical scholars. You define it. You figure it out, right? And so, so we're about 30 minutes out. And uh, Randy takes off to do this last minute maneuver. He goes up this hill and he's coming back down and around because he knew that we shouldn't go on the other side. Well, my nature is more explorative. <laughs> but I didn't see Randy because I wasn't paying attention. He comes back around and I decided that I'm going to keep on going. Well, luckily, my brother who knows me really well, Pastor Justin, and Seth, who, know me, who knows me really well, said, great, there goes Jason Taking off straight, we're going to follow him just in case he gets into trouble because nine out of ten times, that's what's going to happen. So sure enough, I buried my snowmobile. I buried it in a bunch of, of deep powder. And so they, they ride up, and, and they're trying to help me get this thing out, and it was stuck, stuck. I mean, I didn't know if we were going to get this thing out. So I told Seth, I'm not experienced enough to get this out. I need you to help me and everything like that. So he helps me. He gets it up, and I said, dude, you're going to have to ride this thing out. So he gets on it, jumps, and takes off straight going. Like, just, he's going straight. He's going for it. And, uh, and so I get there, jet skis. I hop on that, and I see this guy come flying out of the woods. And I figured, he's flying. He's follow-it-worthy, right? So I took off going, and I'm following him. And these guys are like, what is Jason doing? Because I'm, I'm still going straight, and so I keep on going straight, I keep doing my thing, and I get lost, like lost, lost. No one knows where I'm at. It took me to find the cat track, it took me about 45 minutes to get back to where these other guys were waiting for me. Well, in the meantime, Randy takes off to try to go find us, and he gets lost, 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 lost. 
He's buried out in the woods. I mean, deep, deep, deep lost. I'll continue the story in a few moments as I make another illustration, another point, but here's the deal. These jet skis, snowmobiles, These snowmobiles did something to me that day as I experienced the power and the potency of them. They put a fear and a reverence in me, but at the same time, that fear and reverence caused me to want to go back and do it again. (laughs) This is the power of the gospel. This is the potency of the gospel. Where we have a moment with Jesus, much like we had today, in worship, in these moments, the power and the potency of the good news should change us in such a way, should transform us in such a way that we're like, man, I don't know what that was. I don't know why it's so powerful, but oh, I want more of your presence, God. I want more of you, Jesus, in my life. And some of us are so busy trying to behave ourselves and behave our way through faith. It's not about trying to behave our way through faith. It's experiencing the power and the potency of Jesus, and he transforms us in our faith. So we need to understand the power and the potency of the gospel. When we allow the gospel to go through gentrification, when it's pushed aside and replaced with something else, this is when we marginalize and displace both ourselves and others. When the gospel is no longer powerful, it's just a story that we read. It's powerful. It's potent changes us when we need it. So the first thing that we need to understand, if we're gonna, if we're gonna keep the gospel, the gospel, and it, it doesn't go through this process which marginalizes people and pushes people away, we need, to, we need to understand the power and the potency of it. Number two, ever shot number two? We need to understand the reach and the rescue of the gospel. We need to understand the reach and the rescue of the gospel. Psalm 82, three through four, provide justice for the needy and the fatherless, uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute, rescue the poor and needy, save them from the poor power of the wicked. Proverbs 24, 11 through 12, rescue those being taken off to death and save those stumbling towards slaughter. If you say, but we didn't know about this, won't he who weighs hearts consider? Won't he who protects your life? No, won't he repay a person according to his, his work? See, the gospel is the rescue mission of Christ. And like the crowd, sometimes we can find ourselves not remembering the purpose and the plan of Jesus. And the gentrification of the gospel causes us to no longer see the gospel as God's great rescue mission, but rather God's great keeping mission. In other words, we can believe that this whole thing simply is about keeping us for heaven rather than finding those who are in need of the grace, love, and hope that is found in Jesus with which truth anchors us in. So Randy takes off to go save me to find me. I'm back on the cat track, I circle back around, all these guys are sitting there, and I was like, where's Randy? And they're like, we have no idea. He's missing. We get a text from him that says, guys, I'm buried out here. I don't know how I'm gonna get back. I don't even know where I'm at. His phone's getting ready to die. He sends a pen to Roxy, his wife, just simply says, I love you, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) They're like, what are you doing? Why do you, you don't, do those things. And so he's sending us this, and we're trying to figure out how we're going to find him. And this moment, this whole big brigade of snowmobilers comes by. It was like a moment from wild hogs only in the wintertime, right? They come in, and they got their snowmobiles, and they're revving up. And then the two guides 
come in. We're driving these things called 500s or 600s. This guy comes rolling up on like an 1100 or something like that. It's this big old monster snowmobile. It's huge. He's experienced. He knows what he's doing. And he starts talking to us and we're like, our buddy is lost. He's buried. He's out in the middle of the woods somewhere. He's going to freeze to death. He's going to be eaten by a bear. We're going to see him on the news. Like we're a worst case scenario, right? Because that's what goes through my mind. (laughs) And Dave's like, let's assess the situation, guys. (laughs) So the crazy thing is, is that Randy gets lodged in this area in the woods that when he comes finally back, when we rescue him, like newsflash, he's alive, okay? (laughs) When he gets rescued, this is what the guide says to us. He says, I don't even know how Randy got himself there. I have no idea how he got buried out there. The machine that he was on doesn't have enough power to get him out there. Like, I have no idea how he did it. And then he said this, luckily, I'm on a bigger machine. I've got more power so that we were able to get to him. And here's the problem that happens with the gentrification of the gospel is that many times we can look at people's situation and believe that there's not enough power to get them out of the situation, but the gospel says that it is the power of God unto salvation. He has the power, he has the authority, he has the presence, no matter where you're at, to get you out of that situation. That addiction, you don't have to be in it. That hopelessness, you don't have to be in it. That thing that you're struggling with, you don't have to be in it. Why? He's got the power. He's got the power. So we're like, what kind of church is this? It's a rescue mission. It's a reaching the rescue of Jesus. Come on, is there anybody thankful this morning that Jesus rescued them? Come on, can we just shout to Jesus for a moment? Come on, anybody thankful for his grace? Anybody thankful that he loved you when you shouldn't have been loved? Jude. Chapter 1, verses 20 through 25, but you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in most holy faith, that's what we're doing right now, building ourselves up. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Wait expectant. We're waiting for that thing, but watch. Have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. I love that. Get your hand in there. Like when Mitch is just struggling, when he's going, like, when he's just sucks at life, right? I want to pull him out because I, I love him, because I see the call on him, because I see the purpose. I'm going to pull him out of that. I want to snatch him. I say, come on, Mitch. There's something more for you. There's a greater purpose. There's a greater plan. There's a greater reality. Jesus lives on the inside of you. you got to start being snatchers. you got to snatch people. I'm hyped this morning, guys. I'm so... I think the type of people that reach. And I think so many times what we can do is we say, I don't want to reach people because I don't want to offend people. You know what's more offensive? The addictions that are killing people. So I reach, I grab, I say, come on, we don't have to live in that anymore. Some of us are struggling so much with things. And so we're just dedicating ourselves to being a church that says, listen, this is about the mandate of reach and rescue. Reach and rescue. Reach and rescue. Why do we do what we do? Reach and rescue. Next week, we're going to start handing out these big old tubes that you can just throw at people. Be like, if you're drowning, put it around you. 
Reach and rescue. Is this making sense this morning? Here's the problem with gentrification in, in, in real time. You watch these cities where we should be reaching and rescuing people and we're displacing them because we believe that the best thing possible is just to build the thing up and make it this beautiful thing. When Jesus is like, I don't want you to try to make things beautiful. I want you to sit with the broken. I make it beautiful. (laughs) I make it beautiful. I make it good. You don't make it good. Your behavior doesn't make it good. I make it good. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's the news that penetrates hearts. It's the news that calls us to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. It's the news that says, no matter what you're going through, I'm going to embrace you. Oh, but wait, wait, Jason, that, that our theology says this and our doctrine says that I understand what my theology and my doctrine says, but that doesn't matter if I can't embrace the very people that Jesus died for. Reach and rescue, snatch and grab. Covert agents in the world that we live in, handing out hope, handing out grace, handing out love, handing out a hand and saying, let me lift you up. Let me pull you out. Let me bring you out of that place. (laughs) Last one. Last one. Number three. We need to understand the touch and the triumph of the gospel. The touch and the triumph of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 15 says this, but thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal possession, procession, and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are being perished. Here's the deal. God has called you to smell good in the places that you go to. When the gospel is in your heart and on your life, you walk into places and someone goes, what's that smell? What's that smell? Oh, what's that smell? That smells like joy. That smells like peace. That smells like hope. That smells like courage. That smells like faith. That smells like something I'm not smelling in the world anymore. Who's that person? They smell. This will be the only time you ever hear me say this. I want to smell. Come on, anybody just want to smell in here? The fragrance. (laughs) The touch and the triumph of the gospel. See, when the gentrification of the gospel happens, all that is removed. When you remove, when we remove the people that God has come to give life to, we don't have church anymore. We have a museum. We don't have church anymore. We have a cruise ship. 
full of preferences. I mean, I like the Bible, but just the parts that I like. And I, I, I like that song when it's, when it's sung at like mid-tone with no decibels. I like that church, but they can get a little bit rowdy sometimes. <laughs> so if we could just dial, dial it back a little bit and we compartmentalize our faith, we gentrify our gospel to accommodate the goodness of who we believe that we are instead of saying, listen, this is the gospel in its totality. It is for anybody and everybody and may not everybody believe, but come on, everybody is invited. Everybody is called to come on in.